0: This episode of the multi hypho podcast has been recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Hey Candy, hey. Do you remember your favourite record when you were 10 years old? You do, don't you? You used to make dances up with your best friends, in your backyard, in their bedrooms, at your cousin's place in the street in the park. It was so fly and it was so fun to dance to Push It by Salt and Pepper. And then came TLC, and then you found out about Queen Latifah and MC Light, and all of a sudden, there was a whole lineup of women rapping and dancing on stages that looked like you and did the things that you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. Like so I swear, my my music was played a lot more on radio, and just kind of I had a lot more support when I was just that unproblematic, like oh, mm. I'm, you know, the token black friend or the token mm. black person on the bill. But the day I started, you know, <laughs> writing and releasing music about my experiences about as a black person in this country, whether positive or otherwise, like just. Putting it out there that I was aware that I was a black person, Mm. there's just this air of discomfort that just kind of sat over my career. And it's, Mm. it, it really made me realize that if there's, if I intend on having my politics occupy my music and it becomes a part of my identity in every facet of what my life is and what my brand is, I have to be prepared to reach out to other audiences because I think Australia is still learning how to become comfortable with those conversations without Mm. like people are caught, like people are saying Australians are all racist. They're all bad people. And here's the song that proves that it's like, no, this is an experience (laughs) that's happened Think about a time where you might have made, you know, one of your non-white friends feel like this. Be better, move on.
0: I want to talk to people from multiple identities. Multi-racial, multi-sexual, multi-creative folks. People who don't fit neatly into boxes, or have to tick multiple boxes, or have to make new boxes of their own. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Zimbabwean-born and Melbourne-based singer-songwriter Thando has been gracing stages around Australia with her electric presence and powerhouse vocals for over a decade. With her 2018 breakthrough single, "Num," featuring Remy, Thando has since gone on to open for Alan Stone, Leon Bridges and R&B master Maxwell. Featured on Sampa the Great's debut album, The Return, her collaborative projects will continue well into 2021 with the pending release of her new EP, Life in Colour. This multi-dimensional performer is forging forward to solidify her status as
1: Australia's newest first lady of R&B. So I was born in Wulao and I... Sort of lived there with family till I maybe it was about four or five, mm. um, and then from five onwards we were in Harare because my dad had started a business there. My mum was working there. Then I have a younger sister who was born in Harare, so she didn't mm-hmm. get the Blues experience, but we did. So <laughs> holidays and everything we always went back to Wulawayo because that's where our grandparents were, and all our cousins, yeah. And, yeah, extended family. So yeah, Blues is home.
0: Mm. Like, and what what did it look like? Was it farmland or were they in more sort of urban space?
1: My mother's parents lived on a plot, so that was like farmland. Mm. And I just remember cows and chickens and, you know, my grandparents lived off their land. So it was, we didn't really go into town very often when we were at their place. Um, And then my grandmother on my father's side lived more in a township. So that was like house with, you know, Mm. tuck shops and playing in the road, dirt roads. And it's just that sense of like that carefreeness. And, you know, it wasn't a big technology place. It wasn't a big Mm. city vibe. It was more about family and community. And that's something that I haven't, obviously being in, in a, you know, very, I'd say, overly developed place, like the inner city suburbs of of Australia. It's something that you completely miss, like Mm. muck around in the street with your cousins till sunset, you know, there's too many road rules and you can't climb trees and you can't do X, Y, Z. So that's what I always associate with my upbringing.
0: I went to Zim when I was really little, like four. So I've got Mm. more pictures and the memories are associated with the pictures because my dad's family live – um, in Harare and yeah. and all over, bits here and there. That's why I was wondering, was it, because some were on farms and some were, you know, in townships, but yeah. um, I do remember feeling like the ants were the same size as me at about yeah. four, like I could catch their eye. They were so big, the bull ants yeah. stuff, that everything, like all the animals seemed like way more real And um, <laughs> and then, Yeah, maybe it was because I was that little, I had that perspective that everything
1: seemed to be at my eye level. Yeah, Um, because the older you get, you start seeing these (laughs) things from when you are in your childhood and they just seem so miniature and you're like, oh, was I really that tiny? Or was it just yeah, big goddamn a
0: When you see a bathtub that everybody was able to get into and you think, wow. Did music start when you were back in Zim like as a real little one or was it something that started to sort of um, take you over when you were in Australia?
1: Definitely when I was still quite little. So what would happen is I had two older sisters um, from my dad's side from a different relationship And during school holidays, we would all come together. So they'd either come to Harare or we would all meet in Wulawayo at my grandmother's place. And we used to, like, stage these little home concerts because we loved TLC. (laughs) So so the three of us would, like, you know, embody a character and just kind of, like, do a choreographed dance. And I always sang lead because I was the only one that really sang. And just this sense of... um, you know, teamwork with my sisters and creating a show and putting on our Sunday best and, you know, selling little homemade tickets to our family and just performing in front of everyone, I guess, was kind of the start of it for me. And obviously as Mm. we grew, it was something that, you know, the two of them grew out of but for me was just a very, like, a very real idea of who I wanted to be and and what I wanted to do with my life. Lonely mother gazing out of the window, staring at a son that she just can't touch. If at any time he's in a change, she'll be by his side, but he doesn't realize he hurts her so much. But all the praying just ain't helping at all Cause he can't seem to keep himself out of trouble So he goes out and he makes his money the best way he know how Another body laying cold in the gutter Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you used to. I know that you're going to have it your way or nothing at all. But I think you're moving too fast. When we came to Australia... You know, my mum really drove home the point that this is a place where you get to embrace fully who you are and you have the opportunity to, you know, paint your destiny, but I want you to go to school first. (laughs) So do whatever you want and you can do music and I'll support you and I'll embrace you doing that, but you have to go to school. Like that's the only condition you have for Mm. for my support. And I think um, being in a place where there was so much opportunity for me to explore what music was like as a a fully-fledged career Um, definitely kind of encouraged me to keep pursuing it. I think about what it would have been like in Zimbabwe, and I I think, you know, maybe, maybe this is just my family. I know it's probably different for everyone, but people's priorities would have been very different because obviously the way the economy was going around about the time we left and I don't know what environment I would have been growing up in. I don't know if my priorities would have been different. I don't imagine I would have wanted to pursue a career in music if we'd stayed in Zimbabwe, just given the nature of, you know, what job stability is like and what mm. yeah, the quality of life is like. So I know that I'm really lucky being here. Yeah,
0: yeah. It is interesting, though, looking back at, like, Music coming out of SA, Mozambique Zim though, now, and seeing like Shoma Jotsi and it's a really interesting time, I think, for the world. Mm. um i was I was actually dreaming about this the other day on a big walk, thinking, because of um, what's that parasite winning the Oscar. We've got a Korean language film. There's more and more coming out music wise and uh, in the film and TV where people are really accepting language, like we're hearing rappers rapping in language and it's becoming more popular. And I was thinking, is this also boosted by this sort of global moment where we're all listening and watching like the amount of kids I know that listen to K-pop more than other music really interests me you know what I mean or um I love that Kenyan young Kenyan comedian Elsa on Instagram that seems to be just like taking over the world right yeah so funny pandemic you know (laughs) I was going to come over but pandemic and (laughs) I was like this is really cutting through in a way. Yeah. And, of course, the internet, obviously, the internet.
1: is a really big um, part of that. Yeah. yeah. You know, what I found really interesting is, like, the number of, I guess I'd say, like, mainstream artists embracing Afrobeats. In mm. their, even, like, artists I just never would have even thought to yeah. look at something like that. Like, there's this new song by the Black Eyed Peas and Shakira. And wow. I swear, if you didn't know that it was the Black Eyed Peas, like, you would just, like, close your eyes and listen to it and you'd think that it's, you know, some, you know, great, like, Nigerian artist. Yeah. But, like, the sound is so, like, it's becomes so global. And, mm. you know, you start to see the influences of, you know, the non-Western starting to seep into the world. And I think that connectivity that we have... Because of the internet and because we're all able to share, people are looking beyond what gatekeepers are calling trendy. Yeah. Like they're really starting yeah. to try and carve out a new sound. And yeah, yeah I
0: think I think that's so vital, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's even so like it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but even for you, because you know you're quite much younger than me, and what you've seen from when you began to now, right? It's exponentially different yeah right yeah. and how have you felt like navigating your career in australia how is that like what are some of the highs and lows? <laughs> you don't have to name names because I have to do some weird blah, blah, if you yeah. name names. But, um, defamation. <laughs> but that's yeah, quite fun to do. Um, but, um, you know, what What would you say, or, or rather than highs and lows, learning points, you know, that you think,
1: hmm. Yeah. I think um, because this country is still so young in the sense of there's a lot of acceptance still to be had about the history of this country and how it's come Mm -hmm. to be like, Knowledge is one thing, but accepting that there's this blemish and how mm-hmm. to cultivate that into something better moving forward, like there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So it's always weird being a black woman occupying this, I guess, predominantly white space when you're bringing up topics that cause discomfort and you are no longer the palatable black woman yeah. that, you know, that. So, and I think until they can do that, it's going to be a really weird time for anyone non-white to try yeah. and occupy the space and be completely true and authentic about their experiences. I mean, even look at what happened with, um, with Ziggy when he went on Q&A and, you know, he had his statements about representation and, you know, he's an Indigenous person, but the amount of backlash an Indigenous person got for speaking out about their experiences as an Indigenous person doesn't make any sense. No. And, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, and if someone who is obviously native to the land, like I'm not even, I'm not mm. native to this land, I'm I'm very much benefiting from, from the mm. colonial constructs that remain here today. If I'm saying things that shake things up, sorry, other way around, if Ziggy's saying things that are shaking things up and people are like, oh, shock horror, I don't stand a chance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I d I don't with feel like that excited.
0: with that mm. group of people as a target or audience. I think you're really onto it when you say that having just come back from Los Angeles and um Maya Jupiter, I don't know if you might be a little young for Maya Jupiter.
1: <laughs> you're gonna but notice a lot. Yep. Hey,
0: hey.
1: You're gonna notice my age a lot today. Yes, you're gonna yes, name drop yes. a lot of people and I'll yes. be Googling them while you do so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Maya was um actually um She used to run the hip-hop program on Triple J, you know. Yeah,
1: right. She's she's a
0: piece of um, Australian hip-hop history. And then uh, a man stole her heart and she moved to LA. Uh, That man is Aloe Black. And they, yeah, so they do beautiful stuff. Like they are artivists. Their brand is artivism. So they play the Women's March, the Teachers Federation—they are there in full force. And even had a, um, a really interesting moment with Kendrick Sampson, who's in *Insecure*, because uh, mm. I was in LA during that Emmy season and turned around. There's like *Insecure* folks at um, at the Standard where I was staying. My my key card would never work for my door, and I came down. I was really angry, and I turned around. And he was behind me, and I was like, "Hey." <laughs> He's super gorgeous. Gorgeous. He's always in the front row of anything Um, Ava Devane does. So we started chatting and he said, oh, you're South Africa. What do you think of Winnie Mandela? Now, I can't imagine an actor, like a black actor in Australia from an African diaspora being on a set, which have been on a few, not not too many, unfortunately, saying to me, oh, South Africa. What do you think of Winnie Mandela? I couldn't imagine it. So straight Mm. away when I'm over there, I'm like, oh, how dreamy everybody's able to talk about politics, and you can be an artist and political. In fact, most of the folks I met that are from the Black Lives Matter movement, Damon and Patrice, the two Damons, you know, and their brothers, they're all also represented by the biggest artistic agency in the world, CAA, oh, wow. and yeah. are making trap music and making, you know, uh, they call themselves cultural architects and artists. So mm-hmm. politics and art isn't separated. They're I think we see the same separated. in South Africa, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a bummer for us in Australia not to feel that juice, you know, not to feel that yeah. life when we're like, I'm going to say this and people are going to be like, dope, you know, yeah. Toby Nigway, you know, like. It's on point, man, and it's globally on point. So it's sometimes just this little tiny heartbreak or major heartbreak you sort of have to get over (laughs) from this home of ours, this very fraught home, um, in in, you know, sort of to get across the line. And most of my stuff early days um, in even more niche, making hip-hop and spoken word theatre, all of it was about being embraced by First Peoples and vice Mm. versa and one of the most pivotal moments of my career was doing the Dreaming Festival that was um, cur- curated by Sam Cook at the time, oh, wow. and yeah, so, and that was just blew me away because I was there in at Woodford with all the artists from Indigenous backgrounds and mm-hmm. First Peoples coming first, and Torres Strait Islanders, and 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 I got to feel what it felt like to be surrounded by. Um, you know, black and first peoples, right? Mm. Black and black, as we say, Um, black fellas and and black people from the diaspora. And it was such a huge moment to feel that on this ground because when I went to Edinburgh or other parts of the States, I could feel that. But I would never felt it here.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: You know, and it was like, ah, because as you get, similarly for acting, I think it's similar for music, as you climb, it becomes whiter and whiter <laughs> so you're surrounded by more and more white people yeah. as you do better and that just sucks yeah. you know the amount of people I've heard who say to me but isn't it great you're so unique I'm like no 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 <laughs> I want to look around like, and see kinda... my sisters and brothers like are you serious um mm. it's such a it's such a a different experience and when you try to kind of go around the world and talk to it, people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. It's just you're like black so in boring. Australia? Like, yeah. Do you know, right. the moment that you're speaking of, I had that in, I think it was 2017. Um, I was doing backing vocals for this, like, Portuguese band. It's so random. Ooh. Like, I learned how to sing in Portuguese. Um mm. And we ended up in Arnhem Land for Gama Fest. And that was the first time I think in my adult life I'd ever been surrounded by people who looked like me and knew that they were the first peoples. And there was just something that moved in me that just made me feel compelled to, from that moment on, not apologise for my presence Mm. In Australia, and to just because I felt like I would be doing a disservice to anyone you know with any platform that I have, a disservice to anyone that you know could look like me to see themselves occupying those spaces and just kind of try and water down who I need to be in order to be there like that just didn't mm. seem right to me, so like I, I totally feel that and it's you don't even realize how important it is until you can see how important it it's is. It's the opposite, yeah.
0: It's like when I was on at Disney on the mixed-ish um, lot and that's set with Tracy Ellis Ross and then there were women of colour, black women mm. from the diaspora and mixed race and um, South Asian and um, Asian and and there were just like braids and afros for days and that made me break down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you used to be like, yeah, boom, boom. You, I just was like, <gasps> like because... Having, I remember the last set I was on for a little comedy show, Metrosexual, and there was an English, a black English girl, black British um, young woman who was interning or something. And we were like, went to eat, and she just came and like sat in front of me, almost like with her jaw open. And she's like, I haven't seen another black woman yet, (laughs) like, throughout her her interning for the year in TV. She goes, I don't know why my parents moved here. And and uh, I, and I we laughed, but it's also really confronting.
1: Yeah, naturally. You, know? you know, that's um, what my experience was like in Canberra for the longest time. Like, I think it's weird, like, um, having embraced, you know, my black identity. And it's weird to even say, like, embracing my black identity, like, obviously I'm black, what else would it be? But, you know, I as soon as we came to Australia, I just felt so isolated as a black person or as a non-white person because I was the only black person at my school in primary school for years Mm. before another Mm. black family obviously started um, going to the school. And so because I was everybody's point of reference for blackness when we were growing up, I was more concerned with not sticking out I didn't want to stick out for the wrong reasons. I just wanted to blend in. I didn't want any trouble. And I just wanted to have the easiest schooling experience I could because it was already so weird, like being fish out of water, having Isn't to like it? learn so many things and how to just yeah. adapt. And obviously that whole like sense of like assimilation as a survival tactic mm. really means that there's so much that you find yourself compromising and you're just doing this labor all the time and you don't realize until you finally get to just let your guard down and I think for me a pivotal moment was when my partner and I found out we were pregnant I just started realizing I was like oh my god I'm about to have a biracial child who's gonna have like no idea about her cultural heritage on my side, because I've mm. just done as much work as I could to undo that, mm. and I need I need to get that back. I need to get mm. back in touch with what that is, because I feel like I'd be doing her a disservice by not having her be able to identify, you know, how she's going to benefit from her yeah. mixed privilege, how she's going to potentially struggle because of you know the identity thing, like. I don't think I've ever come across one mixed race person who hasn't like uh, had hasn't approached any kind of barriers or obstacles yeah. because of their because of their identity. And I'll never yeah. be able to understand from her perspective. Her yes. father will certainly never be able to understand from her perspective and she's yes. going to have a unique experience. But yes, we need to be able to give her what we know so well- she can.
0: That's the reason why I also wanted to do this podcast because I realised the uniqueness of that experience, being on a set with lots of mixed race people from America, realising more and more and more, doing kids shows and stuff, my goodness, the amount of biracial, multiracial kids out there, how, how do they define themselves? Who are they? I remember I have this, um, my family is so diverse looking because we've got so many bloodlines and intermarriages and things, but I have this crew of um, gorgeous cousins who are super light-skinned, white-skinned, with blue and green eyes even, but the same features. So the one thing in our family is the nose is the same across the board and most of the kids have curly hair. So whether it's blonde or ginger or black, you know, And depending who the intermarriage is, because the marriages have been like with Fiji and with Aboriginal, with um, Uruguay and like, you know, like it's really pretty yeah. diverse, right? Yeah. The kids are so gorgeous, but these particular families so white and they came into my solo show and I talk about being Blasian and they're like, oh, that's, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for a
0: word because uh, their dad's from my side of the family, where we have um, Chinese Malay, as well as black, as well as yeah, some wow. South Asian, as well as white, and their mum's white. So they were like, Thank you so much, Auntie, you know, because yeah. they need something to feel like they're not nothing or they're not in between things. They're like everything. They have to feel that they're everything. And yeah. as we get more and more. Representation in music and um, th- film and theatre and this and TV—it's so vital to see yourself reflected, Absolutely. because without that, um, you just don't get to, you know, um, have all of those those key moments of childhood and, and coming of age stuff. You know,
1: definitely. Yeah, there was a there was a quote at the end of. Um, Beyonce's homecoming special on Netflix that really Mm. resonated with me. It was, you can't be what you can't see. Yes. I think that's just kind of my thing from now on. Like, and I've been, you know, really uncomfortably offered opportunities where I am very aware that I'm literally there to fill a quota. Like I Mm. know whether they've said it, it's, you can just see it. And you you always know those situations when you're approached by something. And, you know, I've had to be able to put away, you know, my personal feelings about that and say, okay, who is going to benefit from this? Apart from obviously this organisation wanting to show that they're diverse, but is there someone that's going to see me occupying this platform and be able to go, it needs wow, to. that's really dope. I really can yeah. see myself doing that, you know, in the yeah. future. Like that's yes. me.
0: Yeah, and, and that's... And- moving deeper into this, so I've seen, I've noticed like a little um, even deeper movement into body positivity and self-love in your mm. music and your lyrics. What, where has that come from and what is that journey for you been?
1: It's crazy because I have always been someone that is like, I'm the hottest thing in the room. <laughs> I'm so fine. You know, <laughs> you've got to be that way. I think yeah. I've, I've always had a really weird relationship with my body in that I've always loved myself abundantly mm. and I never questioned my worth and, you know, I've never worried about how I looked and I've never thought negatively about myself until I hear comments thrust upon me. Yeah. And it's weird because I feel like someone else's body is no one else's business, you know? Yes, yes. Like it's... it's my body is my business and I feel whenever anyone feels inclined to make a comment about it, it's just like but why? Like what did you benefit from? I think a really interesting um, study to look at study, really interesting Mm. person to look at is Lizzo and she has in, in in essence built her whole career on body positivity and loving herself and acceptance of self you know whether whether you're you're a size 6 or 16 or 26 it's just loving yourself unconditionally at every stage of your life and you know our bodies change and I definitely don't look the same now as I did before I had my daughter Mm -hmm. I definitely don't look the same now as I did after I had her as when I did in quarantine like you know none of my clothes fit right now but like I'm okay with that. I'm doing yeah. what I need to do to get back to my, mm, mm, you mm. know, because that's what I know I need to do to feel good. But I know that yes. I don't need to be like a size 12 to to be hot. Um, mm. I think. This is, I think, look, I think the
0: heart of it too, like, first of all, I just need to. Say, I got really cross when Lizzo came out, and the and it was then really embarrassingly conspicuous how white and skinny our media are, because they're <laughs> trying to like relate to her, and I'm sitting there going, "You're really, you couldn't have gotten someone in to talk to Lizzo that can talk mm. to Lizzo, because it's just sort of weird and." And and also she's there, like talking to all these people when we also know there are all these amazing black women in media. I'm like, mm. can that Santilla, Chantel Weatherill, Like, do you want me to tell you who to who you could have gotten? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. I'm feeling uncomfortable going, you don't know about the culture. Please, please don't say anything racist, please don't say anything sexist, please don't say anything fat shaming, please, Lord. And yeah. it was it was so annoying, I think, because uh it, it just shows us, like, our lack of diversity in our media.
1: Yeah. And who gets honestly, to be those. Like, you want to almost, like, shake the people that organise those media opportunities. I, was mm. like, I can't tell you that the number of times that I cringe whenever, like, you know, some, like, awesome person from anywhere is like doing their media circuit in Australia for the first time and they end up on shows like that and it's like really like the audience that watches this this shit Mm. is not the kind of audience that's going to understand this artist and this person and it's very apparent in the way that you are asking like the questions you're asking them the narrative that you're trying Mm. to shape it's like Lizzo's thing is, you know, body positivity and loving yourself, but that's not the be all and and end all. Listen to her music. Listen to her messages of self-empowerment. She's not saying, yeah, you just got to love your body the way it is. And she's not trying Mm. to promote anything but loving oneself. So she's not promoting, Mm. you know, obesity or (laughs) weight loss or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Don't frame things in a way that it's not there. The the, the frame. Yeah. The
0: frame is the key. And yeah. and that's what Australia has yet to embrace on every level. Even though, like doing this, even I feel like I'm just doing something autonomous to have another space for people to to talk on that don't. So you don't have to explain yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, white explain yourself away. And I feel like also what she's broken out into is that space of where the possibility. My dream, my dream space in the arts across the board is that. Yeah, we just let go of all of that old stuff, Mm. old cultural baggage, old baggage, even around gender and, you know, sexuality and all that sort of thing. And people could play any role because of their essence. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, Lizzo could be, if it was her essence, (laughs) Sandy in Greece or... Or she could be Danny. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like yeah, exactly. just that we could live, because I've done it once or twice where I've really got to gender bend a bit um, mm. and gone up a, a role I played, Charles Penworth, they definitely, the directors and writers definitely wanted um, a black person, a man mm. to play the role. And I was the only cis woman who auditioned and I got it. Wow. So I was like, teasing all the dudes like, oh, my appendage is larger than yours, you know. But like, um, this is the dream, right, that you can be so completely um, creative, artistic, the possibility of all of that beyond all of these constructions that were built and created in order to maintain power and barriers, um, Mm. all that stuff, it it is – yeah, it is so fascinating right now, and just to build new frames and build new spaces. So, because yeah. I think a lot you of know you like, know, it's, it's hard to live in some of the places that have been built. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The master's
1: tools. It would be amazing to see, you know, what effect, if any, um, you know, this global movement, this, you know, now social awareness of, you know, racial politics and, you know, especially here. Uh, Mm. I remember, you know, going to the um, Black Lives Matter rally in June, you know, mid-pandemic after the first lockdown and I remember seeing so many comments on social media about how it was ridiculous that we were having protests for George Floyd in Australia, rah, rah, rah. And I'm just like, if you can't see the parallels with our own Indigenous and First Nations communities and, you know, A, why this march is happening, B, who it's actually being coordinated by and C, what issues we have here in Australia. If you're trying to make it an American adopted problem, which, you know, on a global level, that's, the thing that sort of has, I guess, sparked a conversation amongst everybody because now more and more people are aware. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, if the turnout for um, that particular rally was parallel to the, the Change the Date rally, I think yeah. it was either this year or the year before, Yeah. Um, just seeing the number of people out and, you know, supporting and starting to realise that it's not about shootings in the US, here in yep. Australia, it's about, you know, the injustices that, you know, Indigenous communities face, the disproportionate amount of, you know, deaths in custody and for people to start becoming aware. I'm just wondering if people have learned enough and if mm. the people that are in charge of creating and maintaining this, this framework, these frames have heard the message and are actually mm. going to do more than just like virtue signaling in the yeah. future like what are they actually going to do to start <clears throat> changing the landscape moving forward because i would i would also say to those people who say
0: this is not about us this and that i went i'd say what are you listening to on spotify right now <laughs> mm. what do you watch who do you read if you're going to tell me that you don't benefit from African-American people's oppression, I will t- call you a liar, right? Yeah. If you're going to tell me you don't need to also know about what black people go through in the States, I'm going to say to you, that's as small-minded as it comes, right? Because I grew mm. up in that era too, um, or like just post, but in a family that was very political around apartheid, the entire world was involved in the anti-apartheid movement,
1: yeah, right? But-
0: the entire world. We held each other in our grief. There was huge um, alliances and solidarity between Australia and South Africa. This yeah. needs to continue. This is this is important that we hold each other um, through all of it and understanding there are wildly different notions of even origin theory between different First Nations groups in the African diaspora and African-American people, sure. But... Um, you know, it's about holding each other through it. And hopefully, as well, I hope in the near future, it stops being a black, white issue, but it's just about all of us. And um mm-hmm. there's not so much focus on white people <laughs> like mm-hmm. getting it. You know what I mean? because yeah. I'm a bit like yeah. you you get it, but <laughs> everyone's got to get it. and and it's not about you getting it for me. It's actually about yeah. us holding each other um, as as far as we can and and opening and opening ourselves up because the opposite is, you know, that wh- awful lateral violence stuff and oppressive Olympics and all that sort of stuff that goes on that can really, really damage individuals and communities, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's a pretty, it's an interesting time And I hope that the crack in the matrix that the pandemic has created will, yeah, boost connectivity rather than, you know, create more conflict.
1: Yeah, definitely. We ain't here to cause trouble. We ain't here to make noise. We just here to live. We just came to find love. We just came to find purpose. Purpose. We ain't here to cause trouble. We ain't here to make noise. We just here to live. We just came to find love. We just came to find purpose. Says <laughs> I'm all pillows at two. Oh. Says I'm all peeling pillows at two. Oh. Sunrises, sunsets, how can you forget that we are just like you, with skin as dark as the night, sometimes feel the plight, so we come and seek something brand new here to cause trouble we ain't here to make noise we're just here to live we just came to find love we just came to find purpose purpose we ain't here to cause trouble we ain't here to make noise we're just here to live we just came to find love we just came to find purpose purpose brother never doubt you worth i ah. know that you are loved i ah. Know that you are royal, yeah, you're royal. Sister, always keep your head up. I know sometimes you're fed up. But know that you are royal, yeah, you're royal. Peeling pillows there too, oh. Says I'm a good pillows there too, oh
0: multi is hosted and created by Candy Bowers, recorded and produced by Christian Biko, supported by Linda Hurd and Arts Centre Melbourne, Creative Victoria, Darebin City Council, Bob Creative and Candy B. Big love to Senari Chendrani, Jinghua Chen and Karen Bravo. multi getting comfy on the intersection since 2020. What, what records are you listening to at the moment or what's your favourite record?
1: Ooh, let me go to my Spotify because <laughs> it's um, a mixture. The only thing that I listen to these days are children's songs, for Charlie's mm-hmm. sake, to be honest. So <laughs> if I'm going to get um, very specific. <laughs> think um, watermelon. Yeah. Is- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's <laughs> well, ho 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 and away we go by Super Simple Songs. They're Christmas mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. No, I'm joking. Um I'm listening to Ari Lennox's um debut album. Mm. Um my favorite tune off that is I Been, which mm. she's just an absolute queen. I love her. And uh, any podcasts or Yeah, actually. Um any film? Podcasts that I've really been listening to Flex Mommy Whatever I want. Oh my lord. Um,
0: Flex Mummy could have interviewed Lizzo. Come on, Australia.
1: Yeah, honestly, they really could have done better. Come on. They've been in all those shows.
0: Yeah. Flex Mummy rocks my world.
1: Love her. And, yeah, all that critical thinking stuff has actually been a lot of the conversations that start a lot of things um, that have helped shape how i see the world because yeah some things you realize that you've just accepted because it's what you've always been taught but then when you start thinking about why you really think that and that's been a really good exercise for me to have especially with the social change that's happening now Mm. yeah and any tv or film stuff you're gonna laugh at me if i tell you that the last series that i finished watching was the crown (laughs) it's good it's really good though.
0: Although I always cry when they go to Africa, like I feel so weird about it. Yeah, it's like weird. when you're in isn't Africa it? like- and I see Africans, I go, I feel sad about this entire situation.
1: Honestly, the whole thing is just like, like I just I look at it and I'm like <sighs> Um, there's a movie that I really loved called See You Tomorrow, which is mm. on Netflix. Mm. Um time travel epic. Mm-hmm. Um, Strong black leads and I really loved it and I C-tour. cried. Yeah. So it's nice. like a um, yeah, sci-fi but emotional. You just don't see it going the way that it does. It goes from yeah. being like real loopy to really real. Mm. Um yeah. And I cried tears.